Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Thing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a marvellous Morena to uh, everyone this morning. It really is. If you've been uh, watching the Commonwealth Games throughout the night and uh, the early hours uh, of this morning and now around breakfast time, you'll just uh, be absolutely delighted as I am and uh, as I... Start my show. I'm about to watch uh, Hamish Kerr stand atop the podium to get a gold medal for leaping the highest in the Commonwealth in these games. Absolutely outstanding performance, uh, and what a moment for him. So uh, we'll reflect on those performances uh, throughout the morning. We'll begin by doing that, actually, with Mark Watson, uh, athletics commentator. Of course, uh, he'll be uh, beaming, I would imagine, over the performances across the board from this New Zealand side. Uh, we'll have a gold uh, gold medal uh, tally update, or well, a medal in general tally update, really, uh, around about 9.25 this morning, uh, when we can get it up to date. I mean, it's just changing by the second, literally. Uh, after 9.30, uh, we shall be talking to John Andrews. Now, John, of course, uh, former Olympian himself, but proud father of Elise Andrews, who has just absolutely burned the track up. Um, in uh, London it is, the, the velodrome of course, but she's just been amazing uh, her campaign is over, but what a campaign it was. Um, we're going to continue our round the houses in terms of the NPC sides, I'm going to head to the deep south uh, and talk to the Stags, Southland Stags head coach Dale McLeod, where they're at they've got a big game coming up at the weekend against Tasman and Blenheim panel this morning will be James Regan and uh, Ollie Ritchie, plenty of uh, Commonwealth Games and All Black talk there I'm sure um, we'll have uh, a pacing for purpose source for you and a greyhound as well. Uh, and then Frankie Mackay just after 11 o'clock, former White Fern. Uh, we'll be talking uh, about the Commonwealth Games performance, of course. Uh, and, of course, she's now uh, going to be hosting the Canterbury Sports Breakfast on SENZ this Saturday um, between 7 and 8. So uh, we'll catch up with Frankie there. And uh, something quite special, around about 11.25, just a short tribute to Vin Scully passed away yesterday at the age of 94 called the Dodgers baseball team at home for 67 years get that 67 years so yeah Vin Scully will have a tribute to him um, how would you sum him up he is the Richie Beno of baseball I've heard it said this morning and that's quite appropriate 906 sport is our religion and here is Smithy's sermon well, Zoe Hobbs is going places, Mark, these words, and she's going there very fast. This lady can run and call me old-fashioned and traditional when I don't mind because I am. Isn't it a beautiful sight to see a New Zealand singlet to the fore in the Blue Ribbon event such that a 100 metres sprint is? So often dominated by the flying, flying ladies of the Caribbean at Commonwealth level, they've had a mortgage on the medals like forever, but Zoe has made a big statement in these games. There's now a reason to keep an eye on those flyers going forward because we have one of them. 
And Chef de Mission, Nigel Avery, was upbeat before these games even began. He has many rules to play, and many roles to play, I should say. Perhaps he's considering ordering a bigger safe to store the medals as the bounty is becoming quite considerable. When favourite Anton Cooper was sadly forced to withdraw from the mountain biking, heads went down, a golden chance goes begging. Absolutely wrong. A gold from Sam uh, Sam Gaze, a silver for Ben Oliver, a Cornella to savour, which surely would have been the coveted trifecta if Cooper was able to play. It's been the games on wheels so much I've been forced to dust off the Rally 20 and get some oil on the chain. I've got a solid eye on Tomato Peak as we speak. But that's only the downward leg. And there's a squash racket, wouldn't I think, somewhere in the attic. After watching Paul, Gold's, Paul Cole's magnificent marathon, energy-sapping gold medal performance, that's where it's staying. The coaster is an out-and-out out machine, and in winning a final for the ages to create squash history in sport, we've had plenty to admire about already. The games that keeps giving just won't stop, and now it gives us Hamish Kerr, leaping higher than any other. Two golds and a bronze in the space of one sermon. Crazy stuff. Crazy good, though. Uh, it's been amazing, absolutely amazing this uh, Commonwealth Games and it's far from over as well but uh, we've got so much to admire at this stage, uh, just uh, racking up uh, 16 golds, 10 silver, 10 bronze, it's been a staggering, staggering performance uh, in sports, squash, mountain biking, judo, swimming, weightlifting and of course uh, athletics at the main stadium. Our pride is running high this morning and I'm sure too it'll be echoed in the thoughts of our first guest today and that's Mark Watson of course. Uh, Athletics commentator, observer, extraordinaire, uh, Mark Watson. Uh, it's it's hard to uh, to find a high point at this point. I've just uh, been watching Hamish Kerr sing the national anthem for winning the high jump. Where do you start? Yeah, where do you start? Interesting. I was talking to um, cycling great Craig Adair yesterday, and we were reflecting on his key victory back in Brisbane in 1982, which stopped the nation. And what you don't realise is back in 1982, we only won five gold medals, and you've just now seen the evolution of sport. But it's not just those traditional sports that we're winning in. It's sports that perhaps 20 years ago, uh, Smithy, we perhaps didn't think we'd ever have a point of view in. Um, but, yeah, where do you start? I, I mean, it has been simply extraordinary. And it's full credit to the coaches and it's full credit to the athletes. Um, you know, look, the funding system in New Zealand's not perfect, but it certainly has made a big difference um, since, I guess, the disappointment of... Um, probably the Atlanta Olympics back in 96 and 2000 when things really did need to change and we weren't winning a lot of medals. But look, I'm really, really pleased for Hamish Kerr. Um, as I said, I was lucky enough last year to call that great high jump final at the Olympics uh, where Barcelona, Bahrain and Tambori of Italy ended up sharing the gold and Hamish finished 10th. You know, he, he's clearly got a, a big championship mindset bronze medal at Indoor Worlds this year and beating Brandon Stark and Brandon Stark is the brother of Australian fast bowler Mitchell Stark. Um, Brandon will be disappointed. I mean, he's a 2.35 jumper. Um, but, you know, you've got to do it on the day. And then you go across and you look at Sam, um, Sam Gaze and you go, look, he defended his Commonwealth Games title. A lot of people, you know, not aware of that. Uh, but that was, just a, that was just a demolition on the rest of that field. A young Ben Oliver, a boy, you know, you've got just a, a wonderful succession uh, plan when it comes to mountain biking, um, and it you know, and it um, very much could have been a one, two, three, 
um, if Anton Kuba had been available. Yeah, it would have been, I think, the trifecta uh, because Gaze and, and, and Cooper are so competitive with each other, you kind of feel they would have cleared out and that would have been something to, to really behold a trifecta in one event. But can I, can I turn my attention to uh, someone too uh, who has not won a medal, but by goodness me, has she made giant strides in the last uh, few months in particular, and that's Zoe Hobbs, now sixth fastest in the Commonwealth. Uh, she finished uh, sixth in the final this morning against some very, very good opposition, world-class opposition. Uh, 11.19, her PV uh, would have been good enough. Her personal best would have been good enough for bronze. What lies ahead now for Zoe Hobbs? Oh, the world, yeah, great. Look, she'll start getting more invitations to the bigger meets. She'll get more starts um, on the international stage, and you need competition. You need to be regularly competing against athletes like... Um, Johnson Thompson, who you know are running under 11 seconds, and that'll be the next barrier for her. She want to be consistently trying to break that 11 second barrier, and then that puts you right amongst the very, very best. Um, you know, 11 point what is it? Personal best 11.08, I think. Um, but also just gaining gaining the experience, learning to run in front of this many people. You know, she said after the World Championship semi final that she froze a little bit, that she. You know, having fun in front of that many people. And don't underestimate just getting used to those peripheral things. Um, in your Commonwealth Games, you know, you've got opening ceremonies, you've got worldwide media, um, you're in a village with a whole lot of other athletes. It can be quite an intimidating environment. And so you know, the Olympic Games is the same. So the more international experience she gains at this level, the better she's going to be. But she's still pretty young. You know, there's a lot of work to be done still in terms of the supplementary stuff, the stuff that you do in the gym, the core strength work. And so, look, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm just just thinking, I think the last, what, might have been Briar Troop back in 1990 in Auckland, I think, might have been the last female we had in a 100-metre final. And, um, yeah, it, 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 look, it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, you know, you go back through the history of New Zealand sport, and we've had a point of view in most sports throughout history at some level, whether it be Formula One, you know, whether it be winning golf majors. I, I, you know, people forget Arthur Porritt. Um, won a bronze medal at the Olympics in the 100 back in 1924. But really since then, it's been pretty lean. And so it's nice that, you know, we're showing young kids that you can come out of New Zealand, you can come out of small towns, you can come out of cities, and you can take the best in the world on in sprinting. And I think that's what Zoe Hobbs' legacy is at the moment. Um, and I, I do think in time, um, yeah, I think, you know, you move to four years from now, the next Commonwealth Games, and, yeah, there's no reason why she can't actually, you know, genuinely be competing for gold or silver. In terms of field events, uh, Maddie Wesh picks up uh, a, a bronze medal this morning, uh, a bronze in the pole vault as well. Gosh, our depth looks quite good there. Imogen uh, is winning um, a, a bronze, but Olivia McTaggart fourth and uh, Eliza McCartney not even there. Yeah, but that's the legacy, isn't it? You get Eliza McCartney does well, and then suddenly young girls who might come from gymnastic backgrounds think, hey, I, I want to be a part of that. You know, Weshi is very much the legacy um, of Valerie Adams. You know, what is, what's Valerie Adams' legacy? Yes, it's, it's changing the mood of a nation. Yes, it's two Olympic gold medals, a silver and a bronze, but it's inspiring that next generation, particularly amongst the Pacifica community. Um, and... That's what you want. You want that succession plan. Now, where she's not a youngster, you know, you give her another four or five years and she'll be consistently throwing over 20 metres. And if you're throwing over 20 metres consistently, you're going to be in the medal hunt um, at the Olympic Games. Uh, you know, Valerie's one, I think, with throws of 20 metres, 47, 20 metres, 50. 
And so that's incredibly exciting, and particularly amongst that sort of South Auckland community too, particularly amongst that Polynesian community. I mean, you know, it, it's you know, particularly Tongans. Tongans are actually genetically the biggest people on the planet, and we've got this incredible talent pool just sitting there, waiting to be tapped into. And I'm so pleased that you know we're seeing, you know, we've always seen the benefits of the Polynesian and Pacifica community in sports like rugby and rugby league, etc. But it's really nice. Now we're actually starting to see their athletic prowess in sports um, such as track and field and hopefully encourages more and more uh, to get involved because there are some wonderful pathways and, yeah, just just, just, just yeah, really, really talented athlete. Big future. In fact, I think sort of of the athletes we've talked about, she's probably the one who I think genuinely in the future can definitely win medals at the Olympic Games. Uh, away from uh, track and field side of things, um, judo is a sport that kind of flies under the radar in this country, um, but it shouldn't at the moment because we've picked up three medals today. Cody Andrews is silver, uh, Moira de Villiers are bronze, and Sydney Andrews are bronze as well. Uh, that is outstanding uh, in terms of development for the sport, no doubt. Yeah, look, absolutely. And, you know, a sport that doesn't probably receive a lot of funding, in fact, I'm not sure they do get any funding and hopefully this changes the game because you know there's a hundred million people around the world actually take up judo is one of the biggest martial arts sports in the world um incredibly competitive but you've got to have athletes that younger athletes can aspire to and i'll say that so we picked up three medals and now you know they've shown again it can be done there is a pathway and um yeah look you know the coaching staff that organization need to be congratulated you know we need to continue to invest more money in coaches we need to make sure that we've got more athletes competing overseas on a regular basis but you can't do that if you don't get the funding and the great thing about the commonwealth games is it is a shop window for those so-called what we deem to be certainly from a media point of view minority sports you actually look at the numbers overseas they're actually truly global sports and so hopefully this wakes a few people up more money's put into the sport and we can take that next step from Commonwealth Games to sort of, you know, a world championship and Olympic Games level where, you know, we've got athletes inside the top eight, the top ten in the world. Well, you know all about endurance sports. Um, I'm not quite sure how much squash you've played, Mark, over the years, but I'm absolutely <laughs> in ama- an amazement of this uh, this Paul Cole who just seems to have uh, an engine that will not stop and uh, he actually in the end wore down a really spirited Welshman and Joel Macon. That was a, a terrific uh, gold medal final. Uh, but he, he is, I've labelled him a machine. He is a damn machine, Paul Cole. Oh, one of the toughest sports aerobically squash. Absolutely brutal. Um, yeah, look, I think the most underrated athlete in New Zealand sport, uh, I think there needs to be more discussion around him. I think he needs to be, you know, really sort of put up on a pedestal. Um, you know, you go back to the likes of, say, Greg Norman, clearly Dame Susan DeVoy. Um, but to do what he's done, you know, World Championships, you, you look at the British Open, uh, now Commonwealth Games gold medal, and, you know, boy, you've got to have a head like granite. You come, you know, you had to come from behind to win that in size. Um, you know, boy from the West Coast has just gone and done it on his own. And that's the other thing, too. I always say this, you know, I'm a big believer in funding, but I think a champion will always find a way of becoming a champion no matter what. If you want it desperately enough, you will get there. And I think he is very much a metaphor for that. Um, and, you know, he's now 
again, another athlete that's provided a pathway. He's actually the argument, too, I guess, when you know, people go, I can't make it because I've got no funding. Well, Paul Cole will prove that, yes, you can make it, and once you do make it, hopefully you do start to get some funding. So it's interesting, isn't it, that often we, we tend to get these athletes that come out of sports that don't receive a lot of funding, but you know, they're successful because they're just so passionate about what they're doing, and they just, you know, they've learned how to lose, or they've learned how to win. Um, I always remember Smitty to just try and sort of put it in context. I'm sort of going off on a little bit of a tangent. Always remember bike rider um, Alexander Vinokurov, the Kazakhstan road cycling champion. Now, this was during the Lance Armstrong era on the bike, and he sort of was stuck back in the peloton, and he decided that he didn't really want to be in the peloton. He needed to be up with the boys in the break, which included Armstrong and Floyd Landis, and broke away, rode up, and remarkable thing too, got dropped, rode back on, attacked the boys on the climb. And the piece of commentary was, never underestimate a man brought up on rationed cabbage. And what I liked about that line is that, you know, it's adversity that often drives people. And so, you know, Paul Cole is a classic example of that. And, you know, I still think that's where we sort of find that balance sometimes with sport. Yes, we want funding, but you still got to sort of make sure that funding or no funding, these athletes are just absolutely committed and you get the two then yeah, you're away in Paul Cole a wonderful, wonderful athlete I just wonder uh, Marco in summary how, how do we how do we regard this we, you know often in, in sport we get a bit uh, a bit gushy and a bit, bit knee jerky immediately after the event and say this is the greatest this is the greatest of all time how do, putting this in perspective how does this performance overall rate for you? Look, I, I think some medals carry more weight than others. I don't think there's any doubt about that at the Commonwealth Games level. I, I mean, you know, like Hamish Kerr today um, and Brandon Stark, two metres 25, nothing particularly special about those heights. Um, they probably would struggle to qualify for the top 10 at the Olympics. But you do have to look at some of the intangibles in terms of the experience gained. I think in a situation like Lewis Clearbird, I think those performances are just genuinely world class. Um, you know, Aaron Gates and what he's done, genuinely world-class. Um, you know, I don't think these guys are going to have any problem at the Olympic game level, um, you know, taking that next step and carrying this form through. But look, look, it's, you've got to have... What the Commonwealth Games does, it's a shop window for a lot of these sports that don't get a lot of coverage here, and that's really important. You've got to have aspiration. You've got to have pathways. You've got to have kids growing up believing and dreaming. Now, in some sports these days, you know, with maybe the sinister side and drugs in it, it's not just a case anymore of saying, hey, train hard, be the best you can be and you'll be a champion. But I think at a Commonwealth Games level, that is very much the case. Um, you know, to stand on the dais, to hear the national anthem. I mean, you know, it's tough at the moment um, around the world with the total situation, inflation. Seems to be a lot of um, animosity between so many different groups of people these days. And sport brings everybody together. And so... You know, look, it puts a smile on your dial. Some of it for only 24 hours. Some of it will be a lasting legacy um, that will, you know, sort of go down like the Dick Taylor moments back in 1974 and some of those other Commonwealth Games moments. So, yeah, look, I think um, really, really proud. Um, I mean, we love to see medals, don't we, in, in those traditional sports like swimming and track and field, and we've seen plenty of that. A cycling program that's always off the, away from the velodrome has been... You know, much maligned. There's been a lot of negative publicity, and for the athletes to be able to step up and go beyond that, 
uh, you know, how many more kids are going to be riding your bike. I think what you're going to ride in this afternoon, where you didn't I say you're going to go and ride Mata? Where were you going to ride this afternoon, Smithy? I'm going to ride d- down to Mata Peak. Down to Mata Peak. <laughs> oh, you got to climb up and ride, ride down. Yeah, I'll get a ride up and put my put my bike on the back of someone's ute and ride down. That'd be good, though. I'll feel I'll feel just as bad at the bottom as if I had ridden it up. Don't worry about that. Hey, uh, and the other thing, I guess, that what it does illustrate, just uh, away from um, the actual athletes themselves, our coaching structures uh, must be looking relatively good too. Yeah, look, I always say this. I mean, it's it's all very well investing money in athletes, but I've always said this: build. Um, bricks and mortar, build the facilities and best in coaches. Coaches come and go. I mean, athletes come and go. Coaches last forever and it's always ultimately does come down to um, really, really good coaching. But look, I, I, I think um, you know the two velodromes, one in Southland and the one in Cambridge, have made a huge difference. You know, talking to Ron Cheatley the other day, you know, back in the, when he was Olympic coach back in the 1980s, he said all you ever wanted was an indoor velodrome. He said we had the talent, but we just didn't have the facilities. And so, you know, we're clearly doing a lot there. Don't be afraid to tap into coaches overseas. Don't be afraid to tap into those resources. But look, I tell you what this actually does. It puts our traditional sports like rugby, cricket, netball, everybody, not so much netball, but particularly rugby at the moment. You know, we've only got a small population. We've got all these sports suddenly put in front of people. We see these sports also in our living room, courtesy of Sky Sport 24-7. You know, the definition of sport in New Zealand is... It has evolved. It's no longer just rugby, rugby league, cricket, netball, and it's all of these sports. Now, you've got to make sure you're well organised. You've got to make sure that you are endearing. You've got to make sure you've got heroes because we've only got a small population. You've got all these kids suddenly thinking, you know, I wouldn't mind taking up swimming. I wouldn't mind taking up high jump. Um, I wouldn't mind taking up cycling, uh, weightlifting. And, you know, these traditional sports are under siege a little bit. And so for rugby at the moment, um, you know, must-win test match. But, yeah, you know, they've got to be careful because I, I still sense at times there's a little bit of arrogance amongst some of those more traditional organisations, and I'm not sure they can afford to be any longer. Nice. Uh, a really nice uh, reflection, Mark. I really appreciate that. And still more to come. Thanks for your time this morning, and uh, long may it continue. I'm absolutely loving these games. Uh, cheers, buddy. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Okay, cheers. Uh, Mark Watson there with his reflection, of course, his very learned uh, reflection on what he's seen so far and uh, some thoughts about the future as well. Looking good, isn't it? It's 9.25 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 9.30. Uh, that interview with uh, Mark Watson was a beauty. I loved his reflection uh, and it was a considered one as well. I'm a bit gushy about the whole deal, but knee-jerky, but uh, I've got to say you know, he's been uh, around uh, Commonwealth Games, uh, Olympic Games and um, all those events are a lot longer than me and uh, that was a, a pretty fair reflection, I thought, of uh, where we look going forward, not just uh, what's happened in the last two or three days. Uh, we'll take a short break for the news now with uh, Araha and when we return... We're going to speak to John Andrews. Uh, John is, of course, a former Olympic cyclist and himself, uh, but he's a very proud father as well. Father of Elise, who has had an incredible campaign. Well, the New Zealand team won a record eight gold medals at the velodrome in the opening days of the Birmingham Commonwealth Games to set the whole campaign on fire. Three of those came from the incredible efforts of Elise Andrews uh, taking home gold in the women's individual sprint, the team sprint and the Kieran 
uh, winning three golds puts at least in a very exclusive club of uh, Kiwi athletes to win three in the same Commonwealth Games featuring four others including her teammate and compatriot Aaron Gate. Now on the line uh, we have one very proud father and former Olympic cyclist in his own right, John Andrews. John, uh, welcome to the show. Morning, thank you Smithy. Uh, well we spoke to you John uh, after Tokyo and you were pretty pumped there um, but the, the development uh, of your daughter since then um, to, to this point has been quite incredible you must be just absolutely blowing out that chest mate uh, definitely like just even, even listening to that introduction Smithy um, it gives me goosebumps <laughs> I think it's quite an amazing um, it's an amazing feat what she's achieved and and you're absolutely right. Like in, in Tokyo, she was a, a pretty green sprinter, just a, such a raw talent. And um, and she's just blossomed over the last year and like in the last week even, I, I think, that she's just grown into another level. It's, it's just mind-boggling to watch and, and just, yeah, definitely so proud. Obviously, uh, you've been able to catch up with her uh, through the form of uh, communications we have these days. How do, how do you sense? Yep. Uh, how do you sense she's taken to all this and handled it all? Uh, she she takes things in her in her stride really really well. She's a humble humble kid, um, you know, and that comes across in her, in her media stuff and you know her. You know, helping out her team, uh, team specific teammates on that day one, where she she jumped in and on the start line, and even though she didn't ride, um, you know, she just rolled off the line really. But it, it just even that was a you know, an indication of her character and just what she's all about. She's a genuine kid, and um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very genuine. It is. Yeah, very genuine, and and for you and Angela, of course, it's been uh, absolutely um, outstanding uh, to watch. Um, yeah. John, of the three, of the three, uh, could you single out uh, one of those three gold medals in particular? W- were you expecting um, that at all? I mean, the Kieran uh, was her strength well, out of, after Tokyo. The Kieran, of course, the silver and the Kieran in Tokyo. Uh, out, outside of that, yeah, every every medal was um, had its challenges. There definitely wasn't anything that was um, clear cut um, because when you look at the field, you had. Kelsey Mitchell from Canada, who is the Olympic sprint and, wor- and current world sprint champion, so um, phenomenal athlete. Um, Janae, her Canadian teammate, was third in the tier and behind Elise at um, Tokyo, um, and plus a stack of other talent from from other countries as well. Um, so we kind of, we kind of knew that they'd be in with a sniff with a team sprint if the girls could manage to put it together, but I kind of. That it would be a Canada New Zealand final, and I thought that if everything went our way, then um, the Kiwi girls could kind of prevail there. And um, and in the end, they won by 0.6 for a second, which is quite a bit in, um, in track cycling. <laughs> Doesn't sound like much, but it's a, a fair chunk. So you know that was awesome. But you know we did we didn't really expect at least to, to win the, the sprint individual sprint final against Kelsey. Um, didn't think she had enough experience, but um, she just grew another league. <laughs> she, she, uh, you know, went went places that we we thought she could go, and we've kind of predicted that she could go, but didn't think she'd get there so soon. Mm. So, uh, is this? I mean, twenty two years of age, uh, John. You know the old saying that the world's her oyster, as such. I mean, for goodness' sake, I mean. Yeah. 
it, it is though, isn't it? I mean, um, the Olympics beckon next. There's World Championships, etc., dotted around the place. Um, it, it just yeah. augurs so so good, so so well. Yeah, uh, yeah, it does. And um, like Elise, uh, after Tokyo, we kind of said to her that um, you know, kind of sat her down and said, you know, do you, do you realise or has it, has it occurred to you that if you're really enjoying the cycling and you know you, you love your sprint stuff? Um, that you, with the physical talents and the and the and the um, mental talents that she's got as well, that you could be like the dominant female sprinter in in the world, and um, and she's like, oh yeah, dad, you know, <laughs> and um, and pretty quickly moved on, and um, but I think that's sort of really where her thinking is starting to come around to now that she she actually believes that she can do it and she's developing the skills to do it. And the big part of that is that you've got um, Nick Fleiter now in um, in Cambridge running the sprint group, and um, you know Nick's a Kiwi that worked with the Aussies for ten years plus in different roles, and but he's just a fantastic person, um, super experienced sports scientist, and uh, and, a, and an awesome coach. Um, so you know, and he believes that I believe. The other, the other real ace in the ace in the pack there is that Nick's married to Anna Mears. And Anna Mears was a dominant Australian um, um, sprint cyclist, you know, multiple Olympic uh, champion, multiple, multiple world champion. Um, and so you've got Anna sort of now in Cambridge as a as a mentor as well. So I, I think the future for the entire women's sprint team and the younger men that are coming through. It's really bright and it's just super exciting. Um, I think they'll go a long way between all of them. Well, Aaron Gate doesn't actually fit into that last bracket, the younger men. I mean, uh, what, 31 <laughs> years of age. But uh, three from him, um, just an outstanding uh, performance across the board. But I think it's fair to say, John, that cycling needed it. Yeah, it did. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but you know, as a parent, you know, I've, I've worn multiple hats you know, as coach. I was national under-19 coach. I coach a, a lot of the kids that are actually in that Commonwealth Games team at the moment um, that came through a generation between 2015 and, and 2019. And um, interestingly enough, like we, we always, in the junior program, we focused on uh, values and, and the kind of behaviours that come out of those values. And it was about developing good people that actually could ride their bikes you know, amazingly well as well. But the people came first. And if you look at the, the absolute destruction of the last year of cycling New Zealand and um, and everything that's happened, uh, it's the character of the athletes that has really shone through at the Commonwealth Games. And, you know, it, they're resilient, um, courageous people who have dealt with some, you know, some really nasty stuff over the last 12 months, especially the, the women um, in the sprint group. Uh, and they've come through it just like phenomenally well. You, you, I think you know we should be just so proud of them uh, for what the, for what they've achieved in the in the situation that they've had to endure. John, is there scope for for further development for for further um, uh, for further numbers? I'm so, I mean, uh, another velodrome somewhere. I know Cambridge is the hub at, at this point, but uh, could we build more facilities? Would we get better as a result of that, or are we doing just fine with what we've got? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Smithy. Um, 
It's, it's interesting. Like I'm, I'm actually, believe it or not, working for the Australian Cycling at the moment, and I'm um, I'm the QAS Queensland coach for the development athletes, the younger athletes. I won't coach any elite athletes. I especially won't coach anyone that's going to come up against elite any time any time soon, because um, <laughs> that would that would sort of really compromise my integrity. But um, it's interesting to see what's happening there and the challenges that they've got, and then look at the New Zealand situation. Um, in New Zealand, we have some absolutely fantastic people at club level um, right through the country, like Canterbury is. You know, an absolute powerhouse of um, track cycling, and, and always has been um, right since I, I was a kid in the um, in, in the eighties, and well before that. And uh, you know, Southland's Southland's really great and solid. They've got the indoor velodrome. You know, Auckland's always produced a lot of talent. You know, with numbers, and then um, the, the velodrome in Cambridge is, is doing really nicely. But um, to my mind, you know, I am a Cantabrian and, and maybe a little bit one-eyed, but. Um, you know, Canterbury could really do with an indoor velodrome, and uh, and if they did, the combination of the people and knowledge and experience, the passion that they've got here, plus the racing programs that they that they run, the combination of that with an indoor facility, even just a basic training facility, um, I think you could do something really, really special. In Australia, they are really struggling. They don't have anything like what they've got, in, especially in Canterbury, even in or South and or Cambridge. Um, so, with the Olympics in 2032, you know, 10, 10 years away in Brisbane, just across the ditch, um, if New Zealand sorts itself um, out, <laughs> New Zealand sorts itself out, um, there is a massive opportunity to, to leverage, you know, this and um, do something quite special but it, I, th- I think some facilities would in Canterbury would help um, and just support of all those you know all those volunteers and those people that don't get paid they make it all tick and um, you know they're the real heroes here because they've helped these athletes you know get where they've got to John honesty time now uh, when she was denied the silver medal and uh, I'm a, a father as well and not a father of uh, of a gold medal winner uh, but I'd have been a bit terse and surly. Uh, how, how did you regard uh, the fact that you know she uh, she was punished for punished for basically helping out and putting her priorities uh, of her main events first? I, I, a lot of people can't quite grasp that concept. I'm, I'm you know I'm honest with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've seen some really interesting comments online. You know about about that and. Um, you know, cycling is ruled by the govern- governing body as, uh, you know, the UCI. Um, and they've got some really wacky rules, to be honest, um, Smithy. And they, they fine you for all sorts of things, um, including maybe, you know, not wearing, you know, only wearing a T-shirt while you're warming up in the middle and showing too much skin, something like that. <laughs> if your socks are too long, <laughs> there's some really strange stuff in there. But um, not not, turn- not turning up to um, a medal is a is a big... No, no, in their book. Um, but Elise and the coaching staff knew that would happen. Um, Elise's priority was always was the team sprint because they were a real chance for gold, and that was the most important thing. The girls, you know, the girls uh, in the team's pursuit. That was an amazing ride for three of them to to finish with a silver medal and ride as fast as they did with three quarters of a team. Um, unreal performance, actually. Um, but they were never going to win. 
So, you know, the, the, the emphasis always had to be on spunk. And I think, you know, Elise being Elise, um, she, there would have been a part of her that felt like she didn't deserve that medal, like that silver medal. All she did is help her teammates get to the start line and, and do their thing, which they did so well. And um, that's just, it's a mark of Elise's character. You know, that's who she is. She would never have wanted to stand by and watch her teammates not race when she could have helped them, you know, without really doing too much damage to her own chances. Um, if, John, if it turned out the other way with a team sprint, it might, we might be having a different conversation. But. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say, you've, uh, you've, you're pretty mild about the whole deal, but you're very proud. I can hear it in your voice, uh, and congratulations to, to mum and dad uh, and to uh, Elise. Uh, absolutely brilliant, mate. Made, a, made the whole country proud. Sincere congratulations. Thank you very much, and thanks for your time again. Awesome. You're welcome. Cheers. Yeah, John Andrews there, uh, father of, but uh, she's also daughter of. Uh, he's an Olympian in his own right. Brilliant uh, cyclist, uh, John Andrews. And now, uh, just the pride you could hear in his voice, still bubbling over the whole deal. 9.46 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Smithy's Metal Tally Update. Give your tech the winning edge of this Commonwealth Games with the experts at Noel Leeming. Yeah, things are coming to uh, a bit of a close, I think it's fair to say, in Birmingham for this particular golden day for us. Uh, but it's uh, time to look at uh, the overall perspective here. Uh, Australia sitting atop with 46 golds, 123 medals in all. They've got 38 silver, 39 bronze. England trying to chase them down, 39 golds, 37 silver, 29 bronze, 105 medals, and we've slipped back to fourth, unfortunately, because Canada have run us down. We've both got 16 golds, but their total medals come to 57 on the back of uh, 20 silver and 21 bronze. And courtesy of Paul Cole, Hamish Kerr, and Sam Gaze, we added three to our gold medal tally to match them on that, uh, but uh, we've got 10 silver and 10 bronze, so 36 medals in all, and there's daylight, daylight back to Scotland who are in fifth place. Still plenty more for us to come. Uh, if we can finish in the top four, simply amazing as the medal tally continues to grow. Very, very special uh, and so many more disciplines that we've got opportunities in uh, around the corner and that will be uh, tonight. The bowls are back in action. Uh, not too far away from uh, Tom Walsh getting into gear. Uh, there's just so much more to look forward to. 9.53 here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, we'll see if we can find a multi for the day. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, today we have the St. Louis Cardinals to beat the Chicago Cubs. That's at $1.54, and that's in Major League Baseball, of course. Uh, then uh, Rugby League uh, NRL this round gets uh, underway tonight, and we've got the Roosters up against the Broncos. Not like tipping against the Broncos, but I think the Roosters uh, may just knock them over tonight at $1.61. Um, and uh, in the cricket, New Zealand uh, women's side have got to play against the England women's side. Uh, I think the England women's side with a home advantage, etc., might just be a little bit too classy. 
at a dollar forty-two. But it is T20 cricket, and it's got a lot of variables in it, hasn't it? So uh, the St Louis Cardinals at a dollar fifty-four. Um, we've got the Roosters uh, to beat the Broncos at a dollar sixty-one, and the English women's cricket team to beat the White Ferns at a dollar forty-two. Uh, that all multis up to three dollars fifty-two. Going to be speaking to uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, before the next hour is up, as well as uh, Pip Morris from the TAB. Uh, after 11 o'clock this morning, we'll be talking to Frankie Mackay, of course, a former White Fern in her uh, own right. And uh, we'll ask uh, Frankie a few questions uh, regarding the current squad, etc., and uh, what her intentions are in terms of cricket going forward. Uh, and then uh, straight after the news, we shall be talking to uh, Dale McLeod. Now, Dale is the head coach of the Southland Stags, and they've got a pretty tough first-up opposition against the Tasman Marco and Blenheim on Sunday. Look forward to talking to Dale very shortly. In the meantime, here's Aroha. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 10.03 here on SENZ in the mornings and uh, let's not forget uh, in the midst of all the Commonwealth Games that uh, the NPC season starts this uh, weekend. In fact, it starts tomorrow night uh, with uh, Manawatu against Canterbury but uh, fans of the Southland Stags will have to wait until Sunday to see their team in action when they run out onto Lansdowne Park in Blenheim to take on the Tasman Marco with a side that has got uh, quite a a bit of experience about it but uh, a real look of youth too in in the nucleus and a real Southland flavour about it which is uh, very pleasing to say Uh, they could uh, go for big things this year Uh, Southland they're always very tough to beat down there and their head coach uh, is uh, Dale McLeod he joins us on the line Uh, good morning to you Dale Um, well it's uh, crept up on a few of us but uh, for you in particular it starts to get exciting now you know, it's pretty uh, pretty good to um, see the start line um, on Sunday. So, no, it'll be good to get underway, to be fair. How's the uh, pre-season gone for you? What opportunities have you had, Dale, to get uh, the Stags together? Well, yeah, so I was pretty late joining the group. I only arrived last Monday. I've been away on other duties. And um, the boys um, come straight out of the club final where most of our boys and the two teams probably, probably played and then straight into Otago. And they probably didn't um, cover themselves in glory, um, as you'd expect, coming off some um, celebrations and then getting underway into the first um, game. But, look, we saw some really good improvements last weekend against Tasman up in Christchurch. Um, And that's probably one of our challenges in the South Island. There's only four teams. So if Otago's playing one, one, they only leave one for us. So hence while we're playing Tasman um, again um, two, two weeks in a row. So... But look, you know, we made some good improvements and it'll be a tough old year, but um, it always is, so we'll just get in and do what we do. Can we have a look at the squad uh, in terms of uh, its depth and experience, uh, Dale? 37 um, initially, 17 players who attended secondary school in Southland. That is a terrific uh, sign, I think, for development locally. Oh, look, mate, you know, when I took the job on, this is my fifth year now, so I'm just about part of the furniture, but when I took the job on, the, the biggest thing was getting the balance right of what boys were brought into the province, what boys were playing club, and then trying to retain and keep our young talent. And it's always going to be a challenge for us, being down the bottom of the country and then no university. So a lot of a lot of players migrate to Otago and, and Christchurch because of the educational um, opportunities. 
And then so it was, it's about building it. And, and I suppose if someone said to me three years ago, how do you feel about a team with um, Josh Beckwith, Robbie Robinson, uh, Morgan Mitchell, um, there is experience. And then you've got young boys like Jack Taylor and Hayden Michaels who've been away from New Zealand 20s and um, Jacob Payne. So, mate, like, I suppose I look back when I was playing, you always remember your first games when you're playing with that experience and you're learning of it. So they've been massive for us. Um, and like what, what what they've brought back and get around the young fellas and, and, and they give them things that you can't as a head coach, um, just playing alongside, training alongside, um, you know, not accepting things if they're not done right. And so look, it's been it's been really good for our young men and um, and we got a really good blend. Um, the only thing with having so much high representation of Southland boys and like there's thirty of our boys played in the club comp this year which is, I don't think many um, other provincial sides will have that. Except when we get injuries, um, we just were, so we've really gone and got our best um, 30 boys out of the club comp. And that's part of the reward if they play club rugby here and they play really well during that during the, the club season, we'll be rewarded with a contract and then we just go and get what we need. But we've made really sure that when we go and get someone, if there's a Southland person out in the, in the world somewhere, and there's a lot of them, um, that that's our first port of call and if we can get a Southland player back then you know they're passionate people down here and it's no different to any other province but you know we, we put a stake in the ground and said that's what we're going to do and if we have to go and get some boys in we will but only if we haven't um, got a, a person here or a Southland person we can bring in well, Dale, Southland sides have always had a reputation for forward play and they've always been bloody tough to beat down there uh, particularly in Invercargill uh, what about your forward unit this year? Are you confident in their ability to match with most? Oh, look, you know, when you, we, we thought at the start of the year where, when Ethan didn't make the All Blacks, you might have had him for a wee bit, but don't get me wrong, I'm really pleased that he did get back in the All Blacks. He should never have missed out, in my opinion. But, um, you know, losing him, he was he was really good. So then um, yeah, we got a couple of injuries in our front rows at the moment, so we haven't got a lot of depth. But look, mate, these boys work hard, very resilient, um, we're not going to be a big forward pack, but we're going to. We're just going to have to outwork everyone. And and one of the things the lads have down here is a great work ethic. So um, we just got to get them out of the club mentality and tempo. We've got to, we're trying to increase the tempo that they play at and um, get ready. But look, mate, our, our forwards will go toe to toe with anyone. Um, we're not going to be, as I said, we're not going to be the biggest, but we're going to work harder than anyone. That's that's sort of what these experienced boys have brought in. Just how how, how hard we're going to work in our second action. So. We'll fight, um, you know, but you know, size does help. Um, you know, we haven't got a big, we haven't got a big forward pack. So you, you mentioned Josh uh, Beckwith, you mentioned uh, Robbie Robinson in particular. Um, what are those? What have you noticed? Uh, you've only been back a, a very a brief time yourself, but what have you noticed that they've already brought to the group? Oh, look, mate, they care about the jersey, and um, they're really passionate. You know, they've, they've played a lot of footy. Southland's home. They just, you know, the world's probably changed in the last three years with all what's gone on, and for them to come home and finish with the stags is pretty important to them. So they're not going to come home and rest on their laurels. They're not going to come home and take shortcuts. They want this to be successful. So they, mate, they're doing a great job. Um, and and even you know, like if you, like I can't speak highly enough if, if the if the competition was one on the quality of your group, we'll, we'll, we'll win the competition. Like we just got a fantastic group, good men, 
um, here for the right reasons. Um, like Scott Gregory's come in and he's, well, you'd think he was a Southlander, and I suppose there's not much difference between a Northlander and a Southlander, just where they live, but the same type of people, hearty, hardworking. Um, and then we've got a lot of boys who are into their second, third and fourth, fifth years now, so there's not too many new boys in our group, so, you know, we'll be a bit of a sleeping, you know, like we'll surprise a few teams. Um, but, yeah, look, there's just a change of mindset they bring, you know. Morky Mitchell telling the boys that's not good enough, you know. And so, um, you know, just a, just a quality men that, that, that aren't here for a, for a contract. They're here because they want to be here. They want to put that jersey on and they want to play for their province. So that, that's pretty cool. Uh, Dale, can you tell us uh, about your your decision-making group, um, you know, and, and your pivot players? Oh yeah, so we're 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 pretty blessed there, really. Um, uh, Marty Banks, um, Greg Dyer, Robbie Robinson. Um, then you've got your boys around them like Solomon Alameo, Scott Gregory, Matt Funger, Isaac Tatamaki. All really good. Uh, all understand the game well. Good communicators. All work hard. Um, you know, Josh Ben Morris is a very very intelligent rugby player. Um, so that's the nucleus of our attack and strat, de-strat groups. Um, but, yeah, no, you can just really feel something a little bit different to the previous four years. Um, and they're all buying in. They're all leading. Yeah. Um, a big part of what we do is coach-led at the start of the week and then they take over from, you know, we, 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 we make it easier for them, but then they take over and drive it from, from day two, um, which is really good, and they're doing a great job of that. Who should Clark Dermody be keeping an eye on in terms of uh, talent coming through that he can add to his super group uh, before the end of the season? I mean, do you have any new names that you think are, are worthy of making that step very shortly? Oh, look, mate, look, just showed me going to Moana Pacifica this year. The boys just need an opportunity. And I'd probably look at um, Josh Morby as a, a great example. We pushed and pushed. And we went up and played Wellington last year. And I caught up with the coaches of the Hurricanes and I said, mate, you got to, you got to have a look at this guy. He's a very talented individual. He works hard. All the qualities you want in someone at a professional level, he's got them all. And they come out, watched him, and he played really well. Got a contract, and he signed with them for the next two to three years. I believe there's boys in our group. Isaac Tatamaki is just someone of that, exactly the same, like a total professional. Um, he's got the ability to play. Um, well, he's a very, very good outside back, and. But he wants to play centre. And me and him had a conversation last year about, mate, for you to be a super player, I believe that you've got to go back to the wing. He goes, I want to do it from centre. So he can play centre and wing. He's a top man. He's got the skill set. He's got the ability. I rate him and Josh very similar. One just got an opportunity. But then you look at our other boys, Mac Funger. Um, We've got um, uh, Viliami Fine, who's going to, I believe, surprise a few this year. Powerful outside back was with me when I was at with Tonga. Um, you've got um, um, Matt James at flanker. If he got an opportunity to be a full-time professional, um, Flynn Thomas is into his second year. He had three years of injuries and played really well last year. Um, I have I, by the end of the season, I think there'll be a few super teams looking at him as a hooker. Um, I've probably got a few in the country at the moment. You've got um, we've got a couple of young lads and um, Hayden Michaels, who will um, was with the New Zealand Twenties, 
um, wouldn't look at a place in the next year. I know the Hollanders have actually signed them for 2024. Um, then you've got Ben Morris um, and Joe Robbins. They're a wee bit light at the moment, but, mate, have they got big engines and great skill sets and athletic height. Um, you know, when I see some of the boys that get opportunities, those two lads by the end of the season have played the form well and get into a, you know, even just getting a super training opportunity at the pre-season um, and then, uh, you know what I mean? So there's some really good boys that will step up, um, and it's all about momentum because no one looks at the scoreboard's no good, but one of the things as coaches, we need to be better at actually forget about the scoreboard, look at what they're actually doing. So, um, you know, I just think there's some boys in here that will surprise a few. Dale, do you like the, the look of uh, the new structure of the competition? Does it suit you? Oh, I don't believe so, mate. I don't think. I think it's more of a knee-jerk reaction. Um, my thoughts were that um, so the new competition, okay, should re- reward the, the top qualifying team. So they went one, three, five. So they should have went one and four, five and eight, nine and twelve around your placing. So if you finish top on the comp, you're playing the next best side. So you're playing three, where you should play four, or two should play three. That's one part of it. The other part of it is I didn't see anything wrong with the last competition. Um, and I'll be honest, I've even sat down and looked at, I don't know who we're playing, but and I know what we've got to do, but when they talk about, oh, who's on this side of the draw and who's on that side of the draw, well, oh, who was two last year, who was four, who was six? Yeah, I'm not a big fan. And the other thing it brings is, so Southland are really serious about winning a premiership now because that's the only thing we can win. Let's go and spend a lot of money. And it's improving over the years that, Spending a lot of money doesn't create longevity in your program or sustainability. And if you look at a province like... So I look at the Northlands, the Southlands, the Manawatus. For us to win that, we've got to spend a lot of money. Like It's been proven over the last 10 years, and New Zealand Records will show you this, that the team that spends the most money finishes in the top four. So if you're the top spending teams, you'll be, you'll be up there at the top. The team that spends the less money always comes last or second last. It's a known fact. So I believe what they've created is, okay, if you want to be serious, Southland, go and spend another 500000 a year on your players. Go and out, start outbidding people and become a bidding rule. Well, that's not what NPC should be about. Um, and, you know, a couple of teams go well last year. And, and so then they, oh, we should be playing the premiership. Well, it's been proven the teams that win the championship to go up and play premiership sides Every week is a much more massive challenge than only paying four of them a year. So I don't think they've got it right. Um, you know, if we're serious about, you know, growing rugby and keeping our NPC alive and all of that, um, people love the NPC. So I don't think they quite got it right, mate, to be fair. Dale, then with that in mind, it is what it is this year in particular anyway. What, what are your aspirations? Oh, our aspirations to make, make that top eight, mate. You know, there's no point lining up in the competition if, if the group doesn't believe they're good enough and I don't believe they're good enough. So, And I do believe they're good enough, um, but it will need a few things to go right for us, and that's like, we know sports can be like that. You know, We need to make sure we don't get too many injuries because that'll cripple us. We haven't got the depth. And after round five, you can't bring anyone in. Like the last two years with COVID, you've been able to bring people in any old time, but now you can't bring anyone unless the front row after round five. So we've got to make sure that their group's healthy and strong, and then you've got the, the other part. So we need everything to go in our favour, but yeah, we're good enough to be there. It's, um, 
on our day we can beat anybody, but it's just a matter of week to week to week, and if we get injuries, it'll that'll hurt us. But mate, yeah, no, we're 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 lining up to have a crack. So and um, yeah, and momentum early in the week, early in the comp, it can make a massive difference. You know, to get a win here and a win there, and then all of a sudden it's amazing what a bit of momentum does to a team and a province and. You know, we'll have good support this year. We always have good support. Um, so, look, we, we've got a plan and um, around what we're targeting and how we're going to go about our season. And, you know, we're just going to think a bit more strategically around what that looks like and then um, and then implement it. Dale, absolute pleasure talking to you. I uh, wish you all the best for the season as a whole, but in particular, uh, uh, your initial task is a tough one, Tasman at Blenheim. Uh, all the best uh, with what's going forward. At least I hope you stay uh, relatively injury-free and have an enjoyable season. Thank you for your time. Good luck. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, Dale McLeod there, head coach of the Southland Stags. A couple of texts coming in there saying, up the Stags, up the Stags. A uh, very popular side around uh, New Zealand because they always, you feel as if uh, they're pushing it a wee bit and uh, in terms of budget, etc. They are, but the, just the look there, 30 out of his 37 strong squad, 30 have played in the local club competition. Now that, that is terrific and that is what uh, provincial rugby needs. It needs strength in numbers at the, the lower levels filtering through. Perfect example. 10.19 here on SENZ. Panel next. Successful period of, uh, of time, as we saw in about an hour and a half this morning. What have you made of it all? Oh, wow. I woke up this morning and we'd already bagged a couple of medals and then the morning just went from strength to strength and it kind of climaxed with the, the three the three events at the end there and wow what, what an amazing morning to be a Kiwi Hamish Kerr making history in the high jump, Matty Weshi getting her first medal in with uh, with bronze in the shop and everything else in between it's, it's kind of hard to keep up but yeah what an amazing morning, it's been unbelievable And for me uh, also, uh, I'm a bit of an old traditionalist and uh, I, I like the thought of the fact that we've got a sprinter, a competitive sprinter and we have now and Zoe Hobbs, who just continues to develop, and to see her lining up in that kind of company, uh, finishing sixth in the Commonwealth, pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, um, it's always a bit of an unknown. We know Zoe, Zoe's got amazing talent and amazing potential, but she's never uh, made that step to a major event. But today she really showed that she can handle the pressure. Her semi-final run was incredible, and in the final she really held her own. It was a tight race. It was a really good race, and... And she showed that she can mix it with the best, which is what she probably would have wanted to get out of these Commonwealth Games. She's fought so hard to get to these major events in the past. We know that. We know it's been an issue uh, with the sprinters in particular to get approval to go to these major events. And they've said, we can do it on the big stage. And, and she showed it this morning. It was, it was amazing. Ollie Ritchie, uh, good morning to you, Ollie. Um, you full well know the history of uh, New Zealand cycling. So... Uh, I would imagine uh, a lot of satisfaction in head office there, even though the job's not fully done and they've got to be uh, pretty considered in, in everything they do these days. Uh, what about that campaign that, on the bikes? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning to you as well, Jimmy. It's been a it's been a dream run for for the cyclists, hasn't it? And if you look back, um, I suppose over the past twelve months, really, and and a really difficult um, twelve months for cycling New Zealand. Another review, obviously, in the wake of Olivia Podmore's death. Um, they probably couldn't have couldn't have scripted a, a better com games uh, so far. Certainly started on the track, um, and, and what a bright future uh, the, the track program has here. Um, and then obviously the, the mountain biking as well. You know, and, and we take 
uh, Anton Cooper out of that. You know, he, he was one of the favourites for gold as well. Obviously, won gold in 2014, silver in um, 2018. Um, you know, he was very much a, a favourite to do well here as well. And, um, you know, the way the Kiwi flag was flown on, on the mountain bike course was, was really special to see. It's, it's continuing um, what's been a really good campaign, and we still have the road uh, to come, some of those track cyclists backing up. So their legs are going to be absolutely fried by the end of the... Um, at, yeah, certainly from a, a cycling perspective overall, they, they could not have scripted a, a better calm game so far. Every now and then uh, you get text into the show, and uh, we had uh, one or two this morning saying, just hold fire a wee, but don't get too uh, knee-jerky, too gushy about these Commonwealth Games, because, of course, it's not the best of the best. Uh, everyone outside the Commonwealth obviously cannot take part, but uh, I, I don't uh, buy into that, because, uh, Ollie, for me, uh, it is... It is very, very special, and you only beat what's in front of you, um, and they're doing that. You're, you're absolutely right, Smithy. No, it's, it's not the Olympics, so yes, you know, we don't have every country there, but you're absolutely right. They can only play the hand that is, that is dealt to them, and, and that is what they've done so far and, and done incredibly well. There are still uh, really strong uh, countries at, at these games, you know, England, Canada, if we're talking cycling, you know, they're, they're always very prominent on the track. So, um, yeah, sure, while it might not be an Olympics, I, I totally agree with you, Smithy. Um, they can only race what is in front of them, and they've done that really well so far. And it would have been more concerning if they hadn't done well. You know, if we hadn't won a lot of medals and if we bombed out, you can bet a lot of the talk would be how are we not doing this well uh, at a Commonwealth Games. So if you flip the script, um, we've got uh, a whole heap of medals and we're doing incredibly well. So I, I agree with you there, Smithy. They can only race what's in front of them uh, and it's going to set them up pretty well uh, with Paris a couple of years away. Yeah, Australia are there. Don't, let's not forget. And every time we knock them over, there's a yeah. bit of joy involved in that. Hey, hey look, it's uh, coming up to 10.30 here on SENZ. We've got uh, James Regan, Ollie Ritchie uh, with us this morning. We'll be back shortly. There's a little matter of an all-black test match coming up and an all-black naming um, not too far away, I understand. So here's Adaha with our, uh, our update, our latest update. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Right, we've got uh, Ollie Ritchie with us this morning and James Regan as our two panellists. Uh, just watching a, a replay of the uh, mountain biking, actually. Boy, they cleared out, didn't they? Uh, Sam Gaze and Ben Oliver did a, uh, a hatchet job on uh, on uh, the rest of the field. Uh, but, uh, James Regan, I think uh, we now need to focus on uh, the All Blacks. Of course, uh, we've been saying this, I think, for the last three to four test matches. Gosh, this is an important test match for Ian Foster and co. Um, is it? How... how, how is, is this the second last chance saloon, this one? Yeah, it, it's certainly looking like that, isn't it? I mean, <clears throat> you, you can't forget that any All Blacks team going to South Africa is going to face a really, really tough challenge. It's such a hard place to go. We know the Springboks always raise their game against the All Blacks. So it is an incredibly daunting task to come away with even one victory, I think. They, I think they have to win the first test. Uh, I can't see them going up to Ellis Park and winning. Um, and it's massive. It's massive for these players. It's massive, of course, for Ian Foster. Foster. But for these guys who, who are going to be running out there, it's on them. It's, it's so on them to raise their game, to learn from the mistakes of the Ireland series, which was pretty bad now that we've had a, a bit of chance to, to digest it. It was pretty bad the way they got unpicked by Ireland in the second two tests. So... 
it's massive. The, the players will step up. I've got no doubt about that. They'll take it to the spring box. But that first test for me is, is so important to, to get a win, to grind out a win in any way you can and to to stop a, a run of losses in the last few games that is not becoming of an all-black side. So it, it's huge. James, though, how, how much is on the players here? How, how much, how much uh, you know, uh, I mean, how often can you say uh, to them? How many things can you say? These are fully paid professionals uh, playing at, I believe, a level uh, below that perhaps they should be. When is it uh, finally on them? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And let's not forget, these, these, are, these are very good rugby players. They're in the all-black side for a reason, for a very good reason. So it, it's definitely a collective thing between the coaches and the players and New Zealand rugby as well and how they manage the situation. But the, the players, at the end of the day, they're going out there. And we saw in that, that final test against Wellington, the mistakes, basic errors, dropping balls, forward passes, you name it, they, they kind of did it. They threw it out. And players who have been there for a while as well, Aaron Smith, Sam Whitelock, Sam Kane, they will be so frustrated with that because it's not who they are as players. They're better than that. They know that. Uh, and so they'll be wanting to work that out pretty quickly. No doubt they would have addressed it and, and had some pretty honest conversations as well. But when you go to South Africa, it's you. It's on you as a group of players, I think. And you'll be out there. You'll be faced with one of the toughest tests in rugby. And you, yeah, it, it's make or break. It really is. So, Ollie, who does he put his faith in, Ian Foster? Who, who does he ask? Well, I think he's got to go back to... Um, Obviously, his, his, uh, his most senior All Blacks, um, now is not the time for any sort of experimentation. Um, I'd also like to see our most informed players playing in, in their position. So, Will Jordan starting at fullback would be a good start. Geordie Barrett had three chances in July, didn't really take any of them. Um, so, I'd like to see Will Jordan given a start at fullback. He was the best player in Super Rugby by... Uh, quite some way, and he deserves the chance to, to replicate that form uh, at all-black level. What sort of midfield are we going to see? I'd like to think probably a David Harvey, Rico Ioane would, would probably get uh, another chance in there, but maybe a guy like Jack Goodhue, he's been rested, obviously, to recover from that injury. Um, probably time we had a, had a look at him uh, as well, and also Caleb Clark would be another that I'd like to see um, given a chance. Again, he didn't play for injury um, so I'd like to see him given a chance. But, you know, I agree with, with James completely. Um, it's on the players now. Uh, there's only so much coaching the coaches can do. And, and by all accounts, the addition of Jason Ryan has been a welcome one into that pack here. It sounds like they've really responded well uh, to what he's brought. And I was thoroughly impressed with his uh, initial interview that he gave when he first joined the All Blacks a couple of weeks ago. But um, you know, there's only so much the, the, the coaches can do. Uh, it is firmly on the players, and they do not want to be heading to Alice Park on the back of a loss. They must win the first one. I totally agree. Uh, let's go to the Warriors, uh, James, if we can. Jastavanga, it looks like his season is uh, done and dusted. Uh, what can we uh, and Stacey Jones hope for against the Rabbitohs uh, this Saturday? Yeah, uh, kind of exactly the same as what I said last week when they were ready to take on the storm, just being competitive. Uh, and I think it's at the stage now where some of these guys are playing for their place next year uh, and no one is, is immune from that. Um, it's a shame that Jazz Tavang has picked up that injury because I think he's been one of their best. He's definitely been their most improved. 
Um, but all of these guys, you look down the team list, the ones that are actually coming back to New Zealand and have decided to honour their contracts, um, they're all playing for their place in the team. There's a new coach coming in, so they're playing for themselves. They've got to play for themselves as well as the team. So going out and being competitive against the Rabbitohs, like they were for a large portion, portion of the game against the Storm, um, will go a long way. It's, it's really interesting, the team that Stacey Jones has named. He's had to shuffle the pack a little bit, but he's also left the likes of Dejan Arce out of the side. He's decided to play Wade Egan at number six. So, yeah, maybe that maybe that tells you something. Maybe it doesn't. But these guys, there's a few games left, a couple of games at Mount Smart. They're playing for themselves. And um, you can bet the new guy, the new boss coming in next year is going to be having an eye on uh, these last few games to see the attitude more than anything else. If they go down, are they ready to fight and try and scrap their way out? Or are they just going to roll over like they so often have uh, over the past couple of years in games and, and just let teams run over them? We'll see. But it's um, yeah, it's definitely on these players as well. Well, it's interesting uh, you talk about that too, uh, in terms of the coaching staff. Because Ollie Ritchie, um, I've just heard this morning that they've added again. I mean, they've added Andrew McFadden as the recruitment boss, so he's working with uh, Andrew Webster again in different roles. Uh, but now they've added Richard Agar from uh, the Leeds Rhinos, assistant coach of Samoa as well, into an assistant role. So. They're putting all their ducks in a row there, Cameron, George and co. Yeah, and they better hope that it starts working out for them because how many times have we just seen coaching changes roll in at the Warriors year after year and a, and a new sliver of hope comes with that and then ultimately it always ends in disappointment year after year. Um, so the proof will very much be in the pudding uh, with this group and whether, you know, Cappy is the right man in that, um, in that new role and, and indeed what Andrew Webster can, can produce as, as head coach. Um, you know, he's starting to get a solid group around him, which is a good start. Um, but of course, it'll come down to who he can put out uh, on the field next year. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly jumping out of my chair uh, at, at this new group, to be honest, Smithy. Um, because we've seen just changes like like these ones come time and time again and, and ultimately always ends in disappointment and defeat and, you know, finishing in the bottom eight. So if they can start stringing some wins together, I'll, I'll start getting excited. But, but right now, um, I'm seeing nothing in, in that group to suggest that um, they'll be a force next year. OK. Um, well, uh, there are some uh, good news too in Formula One. Uh, because it has been announced that Liam Lawson will make his uh, Formula One debut for Alpha Tori in the Belgium Grand Prix and offer to drive in free practice uh, number one on the, of the race on Friday as well. So that is uh, fantastic. James. Yes. Oh, you go, Ollie. You're the, you're the F1 expert around the office. <laughs> you, you go for it, mate. I, I have watched Drive to Survive, you see, so I'll, um, I have to be put up on these things. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's awesome. Just regardless of what he produces on the track, and, and you know, you'd have to temper expectations uh, quite a bit, obviously, but to see another Kiwi um, given a chance to drive in, in F1 um, is, a, is a real reflection of the progress he's made in F2 and, and where they see their future going, uh, Alpha Tauri. So, you know, a, a great opportunity for, for Liam to to give that experience and, and that exposure at F1 and, and hopefully um, try and, and lock down a, a full-time drive over the next couple of years. Um, just what an experience for, for him and 
um, you know, F1 swim in the news uh, for, all, for all the all the wrong reasons the last couple of days with driver signings and uh, and teams announcing drivers who aren't going to be with them next year and stuff like that. So, um, for Liam Lawson, he'll, I'm sure he'll just be absolutely stoked at the opportunity and, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing how, how he goes at the big dance. Yep, me too. Absolutely. Uh, James Regan and Ollie Rich, we thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, more Commonwealth glory coming uh, up uh, hopefully in the next uh, day or two to talk about. Um, uh, but I thank you for your input this morning and we'll have another panel uh, around about 10.20 tomorrow morning. Take a short break and, and when we come back, uh, we're going to have a ha- harness racing pacing for purpose horse for you. Um, and it uh, looks a good chance too. Be back soon. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand Pacing for Purpose Season 2. Yes, uh, Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose. Um, we thank our friends at Harness Racing New Zealand for this opportunity to uh, win some money for charity, and that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, we're winning for Women's Refuge. And uh, uh, this uh, Thursday, in fact, that's now, isn't it? That's tonight uh, at Alexandra Park. We have got race six, number three, take the mickey. A bold last start uh, when the draw to advantage, better draw this time around, so... Take the Mickey, race six, number three at Alexandra Park um, today. So uh, we'll have, uh, we'll know the re- um, result of our fate uh, very shortly indeed. Um, Zane's coming and said, I see Lydia is paying 23 bucks to lead after the first round of the British Open. It's a very good dollar considering she's only paying $12 to win the overall event. Um, yeah, Lydia, if she starts well, she's a big chance and she played pretty well, although slightly disappointing last round on the Scottish Open. Uh, take that on board, Zane. Thank you very much. Uh, Jeff the Ref, proud of our Kiwis considering the small or no budget, small numbers or no budget that they have. Uh, the Commonwealth Games is a lot cleaner compared to Olympic history shows regarding drug taking. How good was the women's 10,000 metre unreal win by the Scottish last year? So I saw that. Um, McColgan, I think it was. Uh, just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant win. Emotions all around the joint. That was something special. JJ's coming and said, uh, Smithy, forget the naysayers whenever we get a chance to beat Australia or England on a big stage it is well worth a watch I love the Commonwealth Games and the opportunities to watch the different sports and athletes compete in a black shirt I hope we bring the games back to New Zealand soon so we can celebrate the efforts uh, of uh, those athletes on a home basis Um, and I, I would concur with that JJ, I would concur with that. I'd love to see them uh, back in New Zealand. Realistically, realistically, not sure, not sure. So it'll be a while away, uh, but I'd like to see them back here because uh, it's just it's such a cool event, uh, as you say. Uh, Jared says, uh, hi, Smithy. Paul Cole really is a superman. What a super, superhuman effort to win the gold. Um, you won the voucher yesterday, Jared. Good on your boy. Um, and I hope you uh, spend it wisely. Uh, look, I... Uh, I, I I like watching Paul Cole this morning. I, I I just you know it's just you can't watch that all the channels at once. And there was so much going on that I actually missed Hamish Kerr because I was watching Paul Cole. Um, and Paul Cole was just it was a super effort. Um, the guy that I, he was up against, nuggy little red-headed Welshman, who was just he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I think he probably played the game of his life. And Cole just in the end just wore him down, wore him down. Um, and and it was absolutely spectacular. Uh, the fact that he was able to win and in the end uh, win going away. 
but it was tough. It was very tough. He got hammered in the first game, uh, came back, um, and, and then, um, of course, he got levelled in the fourth game. And the momentum was with uh, the little Welshman, who uh, I think is the first silver medalist ever in squash for Wales. Uh, and then um, you know, Paul Cole just ran him down. Brilliant player, absolutely brilliant player with an engine, a ticker like no one else in the game, it seems, at the moment. It is uh, coming up to 10.51. We'll be back with someone else with a big engine, Louis Herman Watt, very shortly, and we'll uh, catch up with Pip Morris too out of the TAB. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Love watching things live, but uh, when you know the result, New Zealand have done well. I quite like watching things in repeat as, as well. Excuse me, I'm just watching Sam Gaze and Ben Oliver finish. Unbelievable performance that Louis had just, uh, and so dominant in that. I hope you can come up with some dominant tips for the weekend of that nature, please. Run your high schools, Ben Oliver. Thank you, Smithy. Please just give him the respect he deserves. Um, and, yeah, I can, I reckon. I reckon, mate, on the bubbles has got to be winning at that price, doesn't he? Does he just get out there with that lightweight? bound to the lead where he likes to be on the pace, just cruise along with wee Joe Cameroon on his back, who, by the way, can ride, just scoot along on the sand up there at Ruakaka and just give it to his elder, well, more travelled, I guess, more qualified, well, that might not even be fair, stablemates, Imperatriz and on Trivier. The market came out. I was shocked to see on Trivier at $7.50. She's been punched into $6. But at the same time, I would not be tipping her. She's pretty much up here, I'm quite sure, for a quiet, trial-y type race. Or she may as well go up to the race. It'll be good to give her a trip away from home. So she's into $6. That's more of a fair price, but still, I think, a little bit over. Imperatriz, she's getting too short at $1.90 now with the 60kgs, although you reckon that you're going to follow Opie. But what about on the bubbles? Drifting, 280 to 360, almost backable, Smithy. If he gets out to four bucks, you're going to have to have a bet and not even you'll be able to stop him. <laughs> not even I'll be able to stop him. Very good, very, very good. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think I'll just leave it with you, with you, Louis Herman Watt, because at the end of the day, I can't win those battles with you. You're way too intelligent for me. But yes, that is the highlight uh, this Saturday in terms of New Zealand racing. And who would have thought of it? Race 8 at Ruakaka, $35,000 race, Kerry Kerry Cup with all that talent on show. Uh, talent on show at the Dogs today as well. Pip Morris joins us, this, uh, and this is uh, Cambridge and Addington we're talking about today, Pip, so plenty on show. Yes, certainly is, Smithy. Good morning to you. I'm actually just standing at Cambridge Raceway about to call the full meeting today, and I really like Scooby Blue off at box number four today. I think it's in race number four from memory. I uh, made him the best bet of the day, and I like Tilbury Heist in race seven as well. Is drawn wide, but I just think the dog's classy enough to win at 2.20. And race nine, Angelica for Arch Lawrence is certainly value. She drops out of open class. She's around 7.50 and she's in a good draw, box number six. She's my value for the day. As far as the sports side of things, Smithy, we've got a nice bonus back around the rugby union on South Africa, uh, New Zealand game and Argentina and Australia. Place a pre-match winning team in margin bet. And if your team wins, but you have the incorrect margin, 
TAB will fund your bet up to $50 as a bonus bet. And there's been a couple of plays on the All Blacks. The most popular uh, selection is the winning team in margin. All Blacks 13 or more currently paying $6. And also 2.7 thousand on South Africa. The match result at 187, Smithy. And a thousand on the All Blacks match result at $2. So a little bit of a split market there at the moment. It is a split market, and it's not very often that the uh, All Blacks are underdogs. It's just the feeling around the country. Uh, have a terrific day in Cambridge, uh, Pip. Thank you very much uh, for your time this morning, and uh, I shall be backing your tips because you're so damn good at tipping them out uh, and calling them, so I shall be uh, backing those. We're going to talk to uh, Frankie Mackay after the 11 o'clock news. Uh, of course, uh, former White Fern. Has she given up on being in a, a White Fern again? We'll find out shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.03 here on SENZ and women's cricket is making its spectacular debut at the Commonwealth Games with T20 Cricket at Edgebaston, the home of uh, Warwickshire Cricket. The White Ferns are currently undefeated after two matches, winning by 13 runs against South Africa. That was an important one. And then coasting home against uh, Sri Lanka in their second match. Uh, one person back home uh, watching from New Zealand with great interest is uh, Frankie Mackay, of course, uh, a white fern in her own right, um, and uh, left out of the current uh, contract squad, etc. So uh, we've heard from Frankie on that basis, but now uh, I think it's a chance to look forward and uh, certainly cast an eye on what's going on overseas. Uh, the other good news for uh, Frankie in terms of what's coming up for her is she is SENZ's new Canterbury Sports Breakfast host that starts up this Saturday morning from 7 o'clock in the morning. So I guess it's a very well uh, welcome and warm welcome to Frankie to the family. Oh, thank you very much, Smithy. I'll be having to pick your brains on a few tips and tricks to get me through those mornings, but really looking forward to it. It's getting up early. Seven o'clock, so you'd be probably starting your research about what, like five? Yeah, yeah, we'll be in nice and early. Everyone loves that on a Saturday morning, don't they? So, yeah, there'll be uh, some early alarm set. But I mean, at least at the moment, I've got the, the com games to get up to and, and keep me going. So, yeah, it'll be a couple of chilly uh, Christchurch mornings throughout the winter, but nah, looking forward to it. Should be good. And of course, how nice to speak to some Canterbury superstars about what they're doing in the sports world, and I'm sure there'll be no shortage of stories to talk about as well from the Canterbury crew. And no, no shortage of Canterbury people wanting to talk about their exploits either, I would imagine. So, um, as uh, you want to do down there, um, look, here, here's, uh, let's look at the, the, the cricket, shall we, before we uh, get a little bit deeper into your show this weekend. Uh, standard of cricket being played in the Com Games, are you happy with it overall? Yeah, I've liked it. I, I've really enjoyed it, actually. I, I think maybe the boundaries are a little small, but that's a, that's a different issue entirely. I think it's just a cool opportunity to try and reach out to some fans who perhaps haven't been engaged in, in cricket and women's cricket before, and, and I think the teams have been doing a good job so far. I've, I've liked what I've seen. I will say I don't think Australia, as of yet, are quite firing on all cylinders, which has been which has been interesting to see. It's not often you see them turn up to a world tournament a little bit below their best, and, and I'm sure the other teams are licking their lips at a chance to actually get one over them. So, yeah, I, I'm liking what I'm seeing. I'm especially liking the fact that New Zealand's gone two from two and have already got themselves a short of a semi-final place with one game in hand. Are you liking what you see in terms of uh, the support? The numbers seem to be pretty cool. It maybe tends to illustrate it's been... A long time coming, this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's 
it's really good to see. I, I'm, I'm encouraged as well. I thought that perhaps there, there was going to be a little bit of an issue with Barbados being one of the teams coming in. Obviously, the West Indies couldn't go and, and play as their whole team. I was a little intrigued as to how that would go. And, and they've had a couple of games that obviously haven't gone to plan. And, and I think when you take that depth away, once you lose a couple of uh, key wickets up top, it's it's hard for what is essentially a domestic team to be competing. But they showed in their opening match that, that when it all clicks, uh, they're good enough to put a performance out there and get a win on the board. So, yeah, I've I've liked it. I've liked the depth. I've liked to see a few new names. I think a lot of the sides around the world have really looked towards youth. It hasn't just been New Zealand that's done that. There's a couple of youngsters in the English setup as well that are teenagers making their debut and. They're all looking like they've been playing international cricket for 10 years. So, yeah, it's it's really pleasing to see for the sport in general. And, and hopefully having it on the world stage, it does mean that more people are exposed to it. They see that it's a sport they want to get involved in. Some young girls think that that's a, that's a career they want to get into. They want to medal around their neck and, and hopefully this continues to grow the game. We spoke with former black stick uh, Sam Charlton yesterday and she admitted uh, on the back of uh, the way that uh, her former team are playing she was missing the action a little bit watching it from home. Uh, what about yourself? Oh, absolutely. I can't lie about that in the in the slightest, even from when the girls over there, they went to the opening ceremony and, and all the photos and videos that have been floating around of that on social media. It's, it has been a little tough at times to... You know, wake up, have a look at your phone, look at the news and, and see these beaming smiles coming back from you from, from a group of people that you're really close to. So, yeah, I mean, I'm thrilled for them having the time of their lives and, and winning cricket games as well. It's it's awesome to see. But, yeah, there's definitely a, a massive, massive chunk of jealousy that runs alongside it. I mean, the whole contracting stuff, that, that happened close enough to, to the comm games that you had been sitting at home, you know, starting to dream of, of what it would be like and, and the opportunity to get up there and, and win a medal and, and perhaps end up with a gold medal and singing the national anthem and all that stuff. I mean, I think every young sporty kid, when, when they're growing up, you, you dream about what it's like, Olympics, Com Games, that kind of thing. So, yeah, to, to know that you've missed out and, and I guess the next Com Games being four years away, I'm pretty confident I won't still be playing at that stage, so it felt like a, a, a one-and-done chance to have a crack at it, and, and to miss out is really disappointing. But on the back of Home World Cup, I mean, I, I said it to, to lots of people and interviewed it about it lots. I think that team was heading in a, in a really good direction. That was the probably happiest and healthiest I'd seen that, that White Ferns team over the last decade. So it just felt like success was right around the corner. It felt as though we, we were going to be successful in that, that Home World Cup. Unfortunately, wasn't to be but it really just had that feeling that it wasn't us but when this team was going to find success for doing a lot of the right things off the field and and I think now now's the time that they they really can have a, a good crack at it and then of course there's T20 World Cup at the start of next year as well so yeah I think everything's tracking really well for that side and of course you'd love to be part of it but you know they're also some of your best friends so also very happy to sit on the sidelines and clap and cheer for them when it's when it's all going well. Well, that includes Susie Bates, of course, Frankie, who became the first player, male or female, to score 3,500 runs in T20 international cricket. Um, Susie Bates uh, just continues uh, on uh, an amazing career. Um, and, of course, we rely on her, of course, uh, Sophie Devine, so much at the top of the order. Yeah, massively. She, she's been a huge part of this New Zealand team for for so long now and, and she's just a great human being to go along with it. I think the thing that I love about Susie is she's just never lost the enthusiasm for, for training, for doing the hard work. She's the first person in the net, last person out. She's now got a rival in that, Millie Kerr. It's a battle to see 
you know, who can be in the nets for the longest and who can get coaches and net bowlers complaining about how much work they've got to get through when those two are into it. But I think that's the thing with Susie is, is all the work that she puts in and, and then the success she has from it. Everyone's just, just wrapped for her. She went away. She, she had a shoulder operation, which was kind of first major injury uh, last year. And, and then to come back and, and come back the way she did through our domestic competition, everyone was just just thrilled because that's the person that, that Susie is. You know, she gives so much to this group and, and to see her be successful is, is what everyone wants. And and it also means that that team is successful, as you mentioned. You know, have, have Susie and Sophie at the top of the order. I think it's a great partnership. We're, we're now getting you off to a good start straight away. You, you feel like you're ahead of the game. And, and looking at our top three, I think, in, in Susie Bates, Sophie Devine and Millie Kerr, Arguably, it's one of the strongest top threes in the competition. And if they can continue to churn out runs, then you are going to see success from that side. Runs has probably been the one thing over the last few years that has let the, the New Zealand side down. There was a little wobble the other night, lost lost a couple of wickets quickly, but I think really reassuringly there was a couple of good innings played through that middle order. Brooke Halliday just looked calm and steadied the ship and a little runnable 20. Leah Tahu, who came in, put the absolute icing on the cake with 20 I think of eight balls and and even really really good to see Izzy Gay's first time batting in international cricket yeah came in really nice partnership with Brooke ran hard looked to do things slightly differently didn't look overawed by the situation so I think when you've got Susie and Sophie firing up top and then you've got some runs coming from that middle order as well then team's in a really good spot. Leah Tahu who of course got a, a stay of execution I guess you could call it recalled back into the squad as you said, um, and it looks like she's relishing uh, the opportunity. So uh, her spark didn't completely go when she, she got the bad news about the contract side of things, clearly. No, absolutely not. She she was pretty motivated to to prove everyone wrong, I guess. She's, she's a pretty competitive sort. People that have played you know, with her against Leah know that, that absolutely she's not one to take a backward step. So, yeah, it was really, really refreshing when, when she had the contracting news. But you're always worried as to as to how players are going to take it and, and what that's going to look like. But she was very quickly, you know, we're on the phone to each other and she was very quickly talking about it. she was going to have more opportunity to play domestic cricket than if she wasn't playing internationally. She wanted to win a couple of titles for Canterbury and she was basically, everything was just about performing really well, winning games and, and trying to get back in that New Zealand fold. So it, it probably happened a little bit quicker than, than she thought it would with, with some unfortunate injuries and, and players being unavailable. But I think you know what you get with Leah. She she is a wonderful athlete, and, and I think just perfect for T20 cricket as well. She's, I think, the fastest over 20 metres in that side, bowls the fastest and hits the ball the furthest. So when you've got players in your team that can do that, I think it's a little bit of a no-brainer to have them involved. So as much as, you know, absolutely devastated for, for Jess Kerr to miss out and for Lauren Down to, to have to make herself unavailable, I think it, it's, it's just exciting for Leah. I think she adds another dimension to that team. So... Really, yeah, really chuffed for her. It's, it's one of those things, you know, you love to see your teammates doing well and, and there's probably a little bit of added pressure that, that she feels after missing out on that contract and, and to be, be called up at the last minute and get in that side, you feel a little bit of you need to perform, you need to show people you deserve to be there and, and she's just, you know, marched straight into that, taking it on, head on and, yeah, I've loved to see it. What about the, the youngsters? And uh, I, I talk about a couple of players, I guess, that uh, are... Uh, fulfilling the role that uh, you wanted to to do, so it's not a, an easy question to ask. Uh, but I, I look at the youngsters. I, I thought Fran Jonas was totally out of her depth at World Cup 50 over level. And I 
I look at Eden Carson, which is nice the other night to get uh, her first couple of wickets. Um, Izzy Gaze, uh, who uh, I thought um, was okay with the gloves, but it's got a serious amount of work to do to get up to international standard, and that's just the wicketkeeper and me. Um, do you think they, in all honesty, uh, are they going to cope with England? Are they, I look at those young faces up against Australia who are basically unchanged from the World Cup, and I think, really? Are they going to get stuck in the headlights there, do you think? Look, it's a massive step up, no no doubt about it. And I think that, that goes from anyone who's who's making the step up from domestic cricket in New Zealand. Unfortunately, to the international level, it's, it is a huge gap at the moment. And, and that's something that, that they're going to try and work on with New Zealand A series and, and trying to create a North-South series to, to get a little bit more cricket for our, I guess, players that, that are looking to get up to that international level. So that's something in itself. But, yeah, I, I think there's kind of two ways of looking at it. There's... There's the moment that, you know, maybe you have a little bit of a, a, a deer in the headlights type of situation where when you get thrown into things you, you've never done before, it's a big moment, it's a pressure moment. Fran absolutely would have would have learnt from that, you know, playing first home World Cup and you know, just, just copping a bit of flack and stuff as well around selection and of course Lee Casperick wasn't selected for that, so both her and I copped our fair share of really polite, nice messages that people tend to send you on social media and, and to be dealing with that at 17, I think that's a little tricky in itself. So yeah, I think that she would have she would have grown a lot from that. I think her her ball performance, the way the ball's coming out of the hand at the moment, that's really good. That's probably something that she lost a little bit throughout the home series here, just with the amount of T20 cricket played. But I think it's coming out really nice. Got really nice shape on the ball. I actually think she's a great matchup to to Sophia Dunkley from the the English side. So I'm hoping that that's a matchup that that I get to see earlier rather than later with um. Fran has been taking the new ball and, and Dunkley has been opening the batting, so I hope it's a, a short stay for Dunkley. But I really like the look at Eden Carson as well. I think she there's a lot to like there. I've actually known Eden since she was uh, a real youngster. Like you think, you know, she's still young now, but I think I, I first came across her when she was maybe 11 or 12, playing under-14s cricket. And, yeah, she's always been a gun fielder. She's always hit the ball pretty crisply as well for a little dot and always been able to spin the ball. So I think for for having spin bowlers, slow bowlers on your side, anyone who, who's got the ability to really get the ball off straight, I think is a, a massive asset. And, and I really like the pace she bowls at as well, the ability to get up you know, 85, 86 kilometres an hour, I think is a real asset in the women's game. So, yeah, I, I think she's got a really bright future. She is one that... Uh, she she tends to like the challenge as well, getting knocked around a bit. And I think as a spinner, you, you have to relish that and know that that's when you get into the contest. So, yeah, I've got big reps on her. I'm really excited to see how her career develops. Hopefully I can throw a couple of tidbits in here and there and, and help her out as well. And, and Izzy Gaze, yeah, I think she she's probably got the most work of the three at the moment to do. But that's also just on the back of how little domestic cricket she's played. I think she's played under two seasons of, of domestic cricket. So, yeah, there's there's lots to like. I think she's got a hard task in, in having to pick all merely curves variations. There's some batters around the world that have been playing merely for the last five or six years who still haven't got a clue when it's the wrong one. So, yeah, Izzy's definitely got her, her work cut out with that. But she's a good kid. She's got a really good work ethic around, you know, just wanting to get better. She's pretty hungry to do that. Loves spending a lot of time with the gloves on. Loves asking questions. She's constantly constantly in your ear asking about stuff, talking cricket, which is which is great for many young players. She was involved in a couple of the camps over the summer 
and, and me standing at first slip, she was just basically talking my ear off about the tactics and, and thoughts and the pitch and everything that she could get her hands on in terms of information, she was after it. So you love to see that from a young player and, and I'm sure she'll develop pretty quickly as well now that she's got a good support structure around her and, and a lot of coaches to invest in. So it's going to be a big ask, it definitely is. There's going to be some days where it doesn't go well. There's going to be some situations for these youngsters that they haven't come across before, but sometimes that nice, youthful naivety is, is actually not a bad thing to have in some pressure moments either. Frankie, uh, first assignment for Ben Sawyer, the new head coach uh, out of uh, the Australian side, of course. Uh, what are you hearing? Um, you know, I, I imagine you're in a, a little bit of contact. The, the group look happy at the moment because uh, winners do grin, as we say, but what are you hearing about Ben Sawyer's influence in the team early on? Yep, pretty positive, to be fair. I think uh, the thing that I really like with Ben, and, and I'd heard from a couple of the girls, uh, he's a pretty he's a pretty straight talker, and, and having had a couple of conversations with him on the phone, I can absolutely confirm that is the case. There, there I'm sure will be moments where that that real brutal honesty, that real straight talking probably won't be overly appreciated at all times by some players, but I think it's it's really refreshing for, for someone to come in and, and not know a lot of people's backstories and the histories of, of I guess, who they are as a person and, and what they've been through and to just be able to talk pretty factually about their cricket and their skills and where they're at, where they need to get to, I think will be really useful for this team. He he's, seems like he's very analytical loves having data, loves having the numbers to go alongside things. So I know he's he's working a lot closer with video analysts, uh, performance analysts than than his predecessor Bob Carter was. And I actually think it's worked out really nice to have the, the continuity of Bob keeping on as an assistant coach. He loves getting on the flinger in the net, so I'm sure he'll be piling hours and hours of work into the batters as well. And, and then to have Sarah McGlashan come in too as an assistant coach, she's obviously been part of the White Ferns for a long time as a player. She's been around the group uh, with her role as, as the New Zealand under-19 coach as well. She's done a lot of work with the youngsters and also with the White Ferns players at camps. And She's just got a good personality and she, she knows Ben really well as well from from being at the um, Sydney Sixers when he was there. So I think it's worked out a really nice partnership between the three of them. I, I think maybe Ben gets perhaps a little bit much credit at the moment for how the team's trucking along. I think a, a lot of that work's been done over the last 12 or 18 months to get a really good, uh, happy, healthy team culture where, where people are really supported and, and looked after. And, and I think you've seen that in the way that players have, have supported each other through some, some not-so-great times and, and enjoyed some good moments as well. So, yeah, I think he's been a, a really nice piece to the puzzle to add. I think him and Sophie will work exceptionally well together. They're both pretty up front. They both want to play aggressive cricket. And, yeah, I'm excited to see where he can take this team as well. He's definitely not going to be one to take a backward step. And, and perhaps that little bit of, of Aussie attitude, that little bit of mongrel is, is maybe what this side needs as well. Uh, Frankie, just finally, your first show uh, this weekend at 7 o'clock, uh, the Canterbury Sports Breakfast here on SENZ. What can we look forward to in episode one? Well, we're basically just going to be championing Canterbury sports, which, of course, is not going to be hard. And it's going to be excellent because, you know, I can wear my eye patch to work and not get any flack for it. I think that's going to be the most exciting thing on a Saturday morning. But we're going to try and bring you some, some chats with our gold medal winners, our, our com games superstars. We've got a little bit of MPC chat coming out. The Rams have got some big games uh, to try and make their way into the top four. We'll have a little bit of women's sport, of course, thrown in there. That's going to be something that'll be pretty constant. But, 
yeah, we're, we're going to try and bring you a bit of anything and everything that's going on, Canterbury sport from, from the club level through secondary schools, women's sport, men's sport, there'll be some big names thrown in there as well, some legends of the game and of course there'll be lots of my thoughts as well, which really of course will be why everyone's tuning in. <laughs> and that's been very good too in the last uh, 20 minutes I must say uh, Frankie Mackay it's always a, a pleasure talking uh, to you it's, uh, it was always a pleasure working alongside you in the commentary box actually uh, love your uh, love your thoughts and uh, love your forthrightness so uh, good luck with the show and uh, we'll catch up shortly thanks Frankie thanks Billy cheers uh, Frankie Mackay there um, for my money anyway still very unlucky not to be there in the Commonwealth Games team um Experience. I look at those kids and I think, wow, <coughs> I just think I almost feel sorry for them, the prospect of them uh, bowling, uh, those spinners bowling to uh, the likes of Alyssa Healy at the top of the order, uh, Rachel Haynes, Beth Mooney, Meg Lanning. Uh, I hope it just doesn't. Uh, I know it's great for experience, but oof, tough, very, very tough indeed. 11.22 here on SENZ, back shortly with a tribute. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And now, if you want to join me again, it's time for Dodger Baseball. And that is the voice of the legend who has just passed away, Vincent Edward Scully, otherwise known as Vin Scully. Uh, 67 seasons of calling games for Major League Baseball's the Los Angeles Dodgers. They began back in 1950, located in Brooklyn, ending in 2016. And outside of Tommy Lasorda, the longest association officially with anyone in Dodgers franchise history. Logan, um, uh, passed away yesterday at the age of, what, 94? Yeah, uh, and this is just, I mean, we talked about it earlier, Smithy, you called it the, I mean, named him the Richie Benno of baseball, and that's, I, I threw that out to you last night, and I think it's very fitting, he is just a name, a voice synonymous with the sport. Uh, with with the LA Dodgers there, uh, I do have a few friends over in LA. Some of them told me that they were crying uh, at the at the news. That's just how impactful he is on the sport. A lot of people grew up listening to him, much like a lot of us grew up listening to the likes of Richie Beno with cricket. He has commentated just so many iconic moments of sport, Smithy. But I think there's one in particular in sporting history that stands above the rest. This is it. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. That was Hank Aaron's 715th 
career home run overtaking the great Babe Ruth. Oh, there's a lot of historical context there, Smithy. Obviously, you heard black man, the Deep South. There's a there's a lot of uh, bad history there, of course. But for him to be celebrated like that, and the way that Vince Scully called that, I thought was very very poignant. And another thing, Smithy, and you would appreciate this and know this very well in in your right with your the way you do commentating is that yes, you paint the picture, but you know when to be silent and when to let the pictures or the or the sound take over. And that is what he was really good at. Yeah, he is uh, a, a man of, who chose his words for very, very cleverly. Uh, honestly, um, when you look at his achievements and the awards that he had over that period of time, Ford C. Frick Award, Logan, in 1982. The Commissioner's Historic Achievement Award, 2014. The Presidential Medal of Freedom, 2016. The Hollywood Walk of Fame, he's got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers retired, retired his microphone. Just absolutely, absolutely staggering. So uh, the people of uh, Los Angeles, particularly those Dodgers fans, are in mourning at the loss and passing of Vin Scully at the ripe old age of 94. And uh, it's 11.31 here on SENZ. Time for you to light up the line. So 800 811 and there's $50 from the TAB up for grabs as we look to Stump Smithy, and that comes after the news here with Araha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Boy, it's been a big morning, Smithy, hasn't it? Ten medals in the Commonwealth Games today, day six in Birmingham. How awesome has that been? I'm hoping we get to cap off that big day with with a stumping. I really want a stumping this week, Smithy. It's what I'm working towards. It's what I'm hoping for. We'll see how my deliveries go. After grabs today, of course, $50 TAB bonus bet. We'll get right into it, Smithy. First at the crease, we've got Scott from Wellington. Come in, mate. Morning, Logan. Morning, Smithy. How are you guys going? Yeah, we're good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. Thank you. All right. Commonwealth Games highlight, Scott. Have you got a Commonwealth Games highlight? Oh, it has to be the cycling. Just how good that's been, to be honest. And I think that's what a lot of people are saying. But overall, just in in general, it's been very impressive to be sitting uh, in in fourth at the moment as well. Um, with that many medals, is really awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, it's been absolutely outstanding. It's exceeded my expectations and. Um, uh, long mark continue. Okay, let's uh, get stuck in this morning, uh, Scott. What of uh, Logan? What what um, our subjects this morning? What are our categories? Come on. We are a nation that punches well above our weight. That's for sure. Our topics today for you, Smithy and Scott: rugby league, the Commonwealth Games, and boxing. Take your pick, Scott. Uh, I'll go with rugby league, please. <laughs> Ever faithful rugby league. All right, good luck to you both. Richard Agar will join the Warriors on a two-year on a two-year deal as an assistant coach from next season. Which Super League club did he most recently coach? Oh, I read this as well, and now I can't remember. Uh, was it Warrington? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not Warrington, Smithy. Over to you. Yeah, we talked about it this morning, so I've got a bit of an advantage here and I've got it written down in front of me. I'm pretty sure Leeds Rhinos. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. 
Sometimes recollection, uh, short-term memory, that's all you need in a game of Stumped. Uh, sorry, Scotty, dismissed there. You are Stumped. Back to the pavilion for you. Up next at the crease, we have Reed from Gore. Come in, mate. G'day, guys. How are we getting on? Yeah, yeah we're going pretty good, actually. Reed, um, actually, uh, Logan was one of our first ever correspondents uh, when we set up uh, the show way back on July 19th uh, last year. Reed was uh, pretty much first cab off the rank, so... Don't mind the contest against Reed. Oh, bit of history here. Yeah. I always like that. Okay, here we go, yeah, Reed. Good luck really to you. Really really miss the show too, buddy. <laughs> good, good on you, Reed. That's not going to help you though. No favours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see how your rugby league knowledge is, mate. Second question here: How many games deep is the Gold Coast Titans' current losing streak? Oh, um, I'll say. Five. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. He's he's taking a little nick there. Not quite, Smithy. Over to you. Seven. One of the Seven. worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Get this. Nine. Nine. Oh wow! Good God. Nine. <laughs> they last won in round ten, twenty sixteen against the Dragons. I just I can't get my head around that. Uh, last question, all on the line here for you, uh, Reed, with a fifty dollars TAB bonus bet. Who leads the NRL this season in tackle breaks? Uh, tackle breaks. I'll say I'll go for Ryan Pippenhausen, even though he's been out quite a bit, but he's pretty sensational. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Pappenhausen is sensational, but he is not the correct answer. Over to you, Smithy. Fafita. One of the worst things I have ever seen mm. done on a cricket field. Fafita is a very, very good guess. Uh, it's a rooster. It's Teddy Tedesco, 126. Second, uh, another rooster, Joey Manu with 113. Third on that list, the Fox, Josh Adokar with 96. So, Reid, by default, you win. Oh, awesome. Cheers, team. So, uh, Reid, you stay on the line, and uh, congratulations to you. And, Brian, uh, we've probably got your details, actually, since you're a lifer with us, but uh, we shall uh, just reinforce that. Stay there, and we'll make contact, and... Um, we'll get that money to you as soon as possible, mate. Have a, a, a terrific Thursday. Thanks, guys. Cheers for that. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Reed from Gore there. Uh, it is 11.39 here on SENZ. We'll be back very shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run. And yes, as you heard before, uh, here on SENZ every Sunday from 11 till 12, uh, for you can listen to Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. It's hosted by legendary Greyhound experts like Mark Rosanowski, Andy McCook, and Roberts. Uh, you'll get uh, plenty of information there, so don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. And now our Greyhound for charity this week uh, will be tomorrow, being Friday, uh, racing at Addington. Money going towards women ref- Women's Refuge. We had a winner last week, so the pool is building up nicely. Uh, our dog this time is Race 5, Number 5, Kildee's Whiskey. Great Race 5, Number 5, 
Kildee's Whiskey is uh, the dog there that we've got uh, up and running. Right, we've had uh, a lot of uh, texts coming in. Uh, Simon says, is the average Joe in your sperm donor ad based on Joey at SENZ? No, it is absolutely not. And Joey, our Joey at SENZ is anything but, anything but average. I can promise you that. Very interesting young man. Uh, Nathan's come in, says, Morning Smithy, love the show. I don't have much faith in the signing of Andrew McFadden. He's the guy who took Tui Lola here. Warriors 2015 Rookie of the Year after filling in superbly in the halves um, in the in the halves for an injured Sean Johnson moved into the wing in 2016 where he was bombed continually by much taller opponents who had lots of success which in turn destroyed Tui's confidence and left him demoralised until he eventually fled the club instead I'd be signing Brett Kamali uh, what has he done for the Tigers since uh, Maguire departed is quite impressive uh, cheers that's Nathan from Southland um, a genuine question from uh, Simon says, uh, are there top sports people in Commonwealth countries sitting out the games? Uh, our medals uh, seem disproportionately high relative to world championships, etc. I've noticed that actually, uh, Simon, you're not wrong. I have noticed that in, in terms of the sprinting in particular. A number of those uh, high-profile Jamaicans, uh, Trinidadians, etc., who were very prominent in the world championships recently in Oregon, not at the Commonwealth Games. So uh, that, I think, uh, certainly has come into play there. Obviously not wanting to to peak and, and hold that form for a long period of time, so they uh, haven't bothered either that or they just haven't qualified through their country system or whatever, and they don't see it as a, a priority. So uh, certainly, yeah, you did right there. Uh, Mark says, Smithy, the buck stops. We're getting back to the rugby now, and don't forget, uh, hopefully we'll have at some stage this afternoon an all-black team for this first test against the Springboks, so listen to Staffy after midday. Uh, the buck stops with the head coach, uh, and if he decides the game plan and the players execute simple, foster game plan, it doesn't work as he's seen in the Irish games, he ain't got a plan B, so stop putting it on the players. That's Mark. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, Mark. Um, there is responsibility there, but I, I do think that uh, our players have got to be better. It's as simple as that. I think they've got to accept more responsibility to be better. Um, and, um, you know, they've got to rise above that. They've got to rise above the shoddy performances we had because it doesn't matter what kind of plan you have. If you drop the ball, if you throw it forward, if you turn it over, if you lose it in the tackle, game plans certainly go out the window very, very quickly. Uh, Joe has come in, and uh, I mentioned before that um, McColgan won uh, the 10,000-metre race for women this morning for Scotland, there was a lot of motion in there, and the, the reason why is she's the daughter of Liz McColgan, who won the same race in 19, the 1976 Commonwealth Games. Was it 76? Was that an Olympic year? 1978 Commonwealth Games, maybe, uh, Joe. Uh, but very, very uh, emotional year. I watched the medal presentation. She cried before she even got the medal. She cried when she got to the, uh, the podium. Uh, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, Apodarama has come in and said they love seeing Hamish Kerr getting gold over Mitch Stark's brother yeah that was a great achievement this morning it was almost overlooked but shouldn't be because um, a lot of people were tuned in to watch Paul Cole in the squash uh, Hi Smithy I think Foster should go and Razor should take over but what I do think is weird is everyone is saying if we lose two in South Africa then Fozzie will go who would beat South Africa in South Africa at the moment not many if any South Africa weren't playing their uh, strongest lineups either against Wales. They made a lot of the changes that she did from one test to the other. Uh, apparently, Susie Bates is uh, the only athlete in history to go to the Commonwealth Games 
uh, Olympic Games and the World Championship um, because, of course, uh, she is a very proficient basketball player as well as Susie Bates. Carlos has come in and said, look, New Zealand has a very special athlete in Paul Cole. I watched him defeat the world-ranked number seven, Joel Macon, by methodically breaking his spirit. When he was down a set, he never panicked. Moreover, Cole backed his superior fitness skill and sporting acumen. Only the world's very elite can do this. When it comes to individual opponents going head-to-head, you think of Muhammad Ali versus Foreman, Djokovic against Nadal, and how they're prepared to pace the game to analyse their opponent to the extent where they are comfortable in being behind on the score sheet, but eventually they wear down their opponent. Paul Cole has these qualities to stay in the fight. Surely Cole must be the conversation for winning in the Halberg Awards. He's got to be. I mean, he simply has to be right up there, Carlos, right up there, and that's just not being a knee-jerk because he won that gold medal uh, a couple of hours ago. I'm telling you, he has been consistently at the top of the tree for long enough to be considered for a Halberg Award this very year. And let's hope that the judges put him at the top of the reckoning. Um, 11.50 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll catch up with uh, Staffy very shortly and hopefully he'll have news of this all-black team to play the Springboks. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.